Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill Filippo. Nick Polak will be along a little bit later in this episode, uh, one in which we are going to talk about Penn State's opponent this week, the Northwestern Wildcats. Northwestern 2-2 two and two on the season. Looked really good in wins over Nevada and Bowling Green. Uh, not as good in losses to Duke and Wisconsin. We're going to try and figure out what's going on with them. We're going to find out why they're 2-2. Two and two. And we're going to talk about really the team that has seemed to perplex James Franklin the most over the course of his entire career. First when he was at Vanderbilt, then at Penn State. Uh, Northwestern has just been a really tough one, especially when the Nittany Lions have to go to Evanston for one of those sleepy 11 o'clock local kicks that, uh, you know, teams are teams are prone to starting out slow there. So we figured what better than to go out and get ourselves a Northwestern uh, fan, uh, former student, person who has seen Medill with their own eyes, uh, <laughs> our friend Ben Gorin, uh, writer for Mid-Major Madness. Ben, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's uh, th- th- This is always a weird week because... Like when you look at the numbers and stuff, and I think you'll agree with this, uh, Penn State should be able to beat Northwestern, and yet there is that lingering thing of like Northwestern magic or something. Where like is this a common thing, or is this just a Penn State thing where teams from the Eastern Time Zone will come for an eleven o'clock kick and just look god awful? <laughs> well, it's it's like that cold Tuesday night in Stoke, right? Like if there's a version of that in the Big Ten, it's 11 o'clock a.m. in Evanston. Um, I feel like it's mostly a Penn State things. Um, Not a whole lot of other fan bases come in scared of Ryan Field, except for Stanford, um, whose body clocks have hopefully readjusted after they played in Evanston about a year and a half ago. So hopefully for them, they're back and (laughs) well-adjusted by now. Might not be, though. It's hard to say. Yeah, and for... Like, I don't know what it was that that game two years ago, the infamous 2015 game where, you know, there was just, Penn State had some brutal clock management. Saquon Barkley had a massive game. Uh, Grant Haley, I mean, before he was the all-time big play maker in Penn State history, dropped a couple of interceptions that would have put uh, Northwestern away. It was just a very weird game, and I'm very biased – uh, in this endeavor, but I really hope that does not happen again because I would like it very much if Penn State was able to go into the bye, uh, six and old, six and old bowl eligible, all that stuff. So, oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say I wish I could agree with you, but uh, I think it'd be great if Penn State lost. <laughs> I don't know if that's offensive. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a Penn State <laughs> podcast, so consider where you're, uh, consider your audience for saying something like that. Now, uh, oh, okay, <laughs> let's <I'll> fix that. <laughs> let's dive into Northwestern football, just kind of like on a whole. Like, when you see Northwestern, like, we'll get to what you think about them on the field when you hear Northwestern Wildcats in a second. But recently, it has seemed like, for whatever reason, at the start of the year, Northwestern is god-awful. And then some switch flips, and they're going, they play everybody really tough. They pick up all the wins that they're supposed to win. They end with seven, eight, sometimes nine wins. Like, what is usually, in your estimation, the cause of whatever their early season struggles are, and how are they able to turn it around seemingly every year? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I wish I could say that it's kind of an overarching trend in terms of the causes, but I think it, it varies year to year. 
um, last year where they lost to Western Michigan and um, uh, Illinois State. There we go. I've tried to purge that from my head, but it's able to pop back in. Um, the Northwestern really didn't know what their identity was on offense, um, and eventually the offensive coaching staff kind of figured it out, took the chains off, uh, and they, they got better. Um, it is weird. I mean, losing to Cal at home uh, was certainly super bizarre, but in that game, you know, Cal threw a huge changeup that no one was ready for when they brought in Luke Rubens or, um, and basically had a running quarterback alongside Jared Goff. I think that was probably two or three years ago now. Um, and this year specifically, it's just been just a rash of injuries that Northwestern, I think, is still trying to recover from. Um, but it's been tough. It's been awfully tough. I wish I could give you a good reason for it. Um, but maybe the best thing I can think of is that sometimes the coaching staff is a little bit slow, especially on offense, to really figure out the identity of their team and build their strategy around that. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird because it's see- – it seems like something that happens every single season in one way or another way. They just play these ugly games at the beginning of the year. I mean, looking at their schedule this year, they went down to Duke, and Duke is, I mean, there's a perception they're about fine. Duke football, but in recent years, they kind of turned that around. Yeah, they're a pretty solid football team. I mean, they got nuked by Miami last week, but Miami's very good. But yeah, Northwestern goes down there, just really sluggish, really struggles. Managed to keep it uh, close against Wisconsin uh, in full uh, disclosure. I did not get a chance to watch that game, so that could have been 33 to nothing. Until, so, yeah, go ahead. The one thing you should know about that is that it was 10 7 at halftime Northwestern, um, but Wisconsin was up 21 late in the fourth quarter, and Northwestern got a touchdown, got a quick three and out, scored another touchdown. It was not that close in the second half. Okay, yeah, to that, be sure. That, that makes sense because, like, as I'm looking at a. Uh, uh, Bill Conway's numbers, win expectancy of 1%, adjusted scoring margin of nearly 22 points. Yeah. Uh, their performance percentiles were all over the place. But it, it's it, that's what you expect out of Northwestern. And you also expect after a game like that, or after maybe hopefully after a game like Penn State, suddenly their schedule becomes Maryland, Iowa, Michigan State, Nebraska, Purdue, Minnesota, Illinois. I don't think any of those teams are – way better uh, than Northwestern. And this just seems like it's going to be another one of those years. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, where they're starting two and two might start two and three, and then they're going to end the year on a hot streak and then go to the Outback bowl or something and give some sec team all they could handle. Well, the best cure for a slow start is playing games in the big 10 West. Hell yeah. We can both agree on that. You get those junk teams on your schedule and suddenly you go six and six, seven and five, and everything looks kind of rosy. But Northwestern, to be sure, has a lot of things to fix before we start talking about them jumping on a hot streak. Right. And when when people hear Northwestern, I think the thing that a lot of people hear or they think. Well, other than, other than Medill, <laughs> the prestigious J school that you and me and Davis Schwimmer all graduated from, is you think of the way they play football, which is on offense, it's going to be really weird, it's going to be really funky, uh, they're not the most talented team, but they try to find ways within their game plan to switch that up a little bit and kind of take even the talent thing by doing some stuff that the opposing team can't defend. And then on defense, it's a Pat Fitzgerald defense. It's going to be fundamentally sound. It's going to tackle you. It's going to bring pressure. It's going to do all those things. Is Through four games, is that the case this year? Uh, no, 
it's 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 definitely not the case. Um, and it all starts up front on offense, where the offensive line has been so thoroughly beaten in every game that wasn't Bowling Green that Northwestern doesn't have the time to do anything weird. And they basically can't throw the ball more than 10 yards downfield just because by the time Clayton Thorson hits the top of his drop, he's got three people in his face. So, you know, you look inside their passing metrics and their success rate is great and their explosive plays is basically last in the country. It's in the bottom 20. So it's a super vanilla offense this year. You're going to see a lot of dink and dunk stuff underneath. They'll try to get the run game going. I'm sure we'll talk about Justin Jackson in a little bit. And defensively, there have been a lot of breakdowns, um, which is a little bit uncommon of a Hankwitz and Pat Fitzgerald defense. You usually keep everything in front of you, bend, don't break. But the secondary has just been so eviscerated. Coming into the year, it was going to be Keith Watkins and Montre Hardage on the outside. Watkins goes down with the season-ending injury. Brian Bullock goes down. Marcus Smith-Shepard goes down. Roger Campbell goes down. And in some order, those guys are three through four, three through five on your depth chart. So now Northwestern has a walk-on who gets snaps now. And Mo, I'm sorry. And Trey Williams, who starts on one end, has been pretty much roasted anytime someone gets targeted and anyone chooses to target him. So you see these breakdowns on the defensive side of the ball that Northwestern isn't really used to seeing. So it's it's not your average Northwestern team. On one end, it's going to be pretty vanilla. And on the defensive end, there are going to be big plays there if you can find them. Yeah, I always assume that with Northwestern, the way that they beat you, uh, and this is going to be our segue into talking about Jackson, uh, is they're going to be able to rip off a couple of big plays, especially in the running game. I mean, Northwestern... I mean, Justin Jackson has been underrated since basically the first time he stepped onto a yep. football field. And this was kind of the year, you know, you have a lot of people going, yeah, Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the Big Ten. No one will debate that. But keep an eye on Justin Jackson. Like He and Akram Wadley are the two guys out west who have the potential to be superstars and more people would know their name if they, you know, maybe they're not at Northwestern, maybe they're not at Iowa, maybe they're not at one of those programs that, it isn't the conference title contender, that sort of thing. So this year, Jackson, 273 yards on 64 rushes, four touchdowns, 4.3 yards per carry. That's not great. Looking at Northwestern's uh, rushing ISO PPP, which Bill Conley's uh, metric to measure explosiveness, 122nd nationally in the rushing game. This rushing attack just doesn't seem to be what it has been the last couple of years. And I think you touched on why when you mentioned the offensive line, but I'd like it if you could dive into that a little bit more. First and foremost, Justin Jackson's hurt. I didn't practice at oh. all the week before Wisconsin. Um, hmm. Pat Fitzgerald said that he's feeling better and is basically hoping that he plays himself back into shape, but he's not right. And you could tell even when Justin Jackson is doing things well, like there's one catch he had on a third down against Wisconsin where he caught it three yards short of the stakes and somehow got his way to the first down marker. But even in doing so, you could tell that the explosiveness isn't there. He's, he's, a, he's a step slow, and it's because he's banged up, which is really not good for Northwestern. And because he's not what he can be, Northwestern's backup running backs, who are actually pretty good backup running backs for the Big Ten, Don Moten and a redshirt freshman, uh, Jeremy Larkin, both good running backs, 
they can't find the same holes that Justin Jackson can find because no one can find the same holes that Justin Jackson can find. So when you couple the fact that your best player isn't himself, your backups don't have tremendous vision, and the guys up front aren't opening any holes, uh, you're going to get what you've got with Northwestern's running game, and they just cannot establish that side of their offense. And that's kind of unfortunate because when you look at you know the other aspect of throwing a football, uh, other aspects of playing offense, throwing the football, Clayton Thorson kind of needs that because, you know, he's a junior, but he's still probably not where you would maybe expect a guy who came in with as much hype as he did uh, to be at. On the year, he's completing 64% of his passes, uh, seven touchdowns to five interceptions, 1,061 yards, kind of padded the stats against Bowling Green. Absolutely. And Nevada didn't exactly yeah. show out against Duke and Wisconsin. And the thing that kind of surprised me is that despite all of this, Northwestern's passing success rate is still 29th in the country. So Thorson, it seems like when he is able to throw, he's doing well. But it almost sounds like the what we're talking about two different quarterbacks based on the caliber of competition he's playing. Yeah, there, there are a couple of parts there. And number one is when Clayton Thorson is kept clean, he's really, really good, which kind of reminds you of Trevor Simeon, who at his time at Northwestern had these junky stats, but it was because he was getting hit on every throw. And now he's a decent NFL quarterback. And now say, I've gotten my Trevor Simeon plug in, which I've been waiting for. I was going to say, I want to interrupt you for a second and say, <laughs> uh, what's, uh, what's Trevor Simeon up to now? I know you, I know you have uh, more insight into that than anyone and you probably want to talk about it. Yeah, touchdown Trevor Simeon is your starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos after beating out two former first-round picks. Or was Osweiler a first-round pick? Doesn't matter. We're going to say that he's a first-round pick. Uh, he's beaten out two separate, like right, two separate first-day draft picks um, in back-to-back years to win that job. Um, but going back to Clayton Thorson, when he's clean, he's really good. And Northwestern was able to keep him clean in two games this year against Nevada and Bowling Green. Um the right response to that would be, well, both of those teams are in the bottom 15 in the country per S&P, so anyone can be kept clean against those guys. And when he's been under pressure, it's it's been a real problem. Duke blitzed him all day long, and those stats in that game, not pretty. 11 for 29 for a buck 20 and two picks. That's, that's not going to get it done. And then in Wisconsin, in the first half, it was all right. In the second half, the offensive line kind of worn down a little bit through a really bad pick six, which pretty much ended the game when he's getting blitzed up the middle, got hit when he threw, got picked and got taken all the way back. Uh, Clayton Thorson's he's a good quarterback. He has he has tools. I think he throws a beautiful deep ball. But the reason why their success rate is so high is the same reason why their highlight plays are so low. And it's because every pass is going to be thrown underneath they're not going to get behind anyone. They'll take advantage of the opportunities that they get um, underneath. When Thorson is a miss a lot of whole, doesn't miss a whole lot of easy throws, um, but he hasn't had the opportunity to make a lot of risky throws, and he doesn't act super well under pressure. Interesting, and uh, it, it doesn't seem like Northwestern. Uh, it's receiving core is exactly the kind of receiving core that's going to make life a lot easier for a quarterback. Uh, I know they have. Uh, super back again this year, which is still the 
uh, one of these days I need Pat Fitzgerald to like sit me down and go through exactly what a super back is, but it looks like it's they, a tight end. It's, it, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a tight end. Okay. That's all it is. <laughs> it, it, it's a t- sure. Sure. Pat Fitzgerald seems like he, <laughs> he, he seems like someone who's been around football a little bit too long and just yeah. likes to be Dan Vitale. Dan um, Vitale was there. Great. Yeah. He was an H back. You know, he, he could play in the backfield too. He was a running back in high school i think um but gary dickerson is your standard tight end he'd be a yeah. standard tight end in the nfl he wouldn't do anything weird yeah and then it's just a bunch of guys who you know they're fine but nobody's really established himself like that, yeah that i will thing. say that you should watch out for ben skoranek uh who's a big yeah looks like big, a big guy dude. yeah he's a deep threat too um he and clayton thorson have a decent connection going down the field uh, especially when Northwestern resorts to the all-pass interference offense. Interesting. Uh, it's usually a lame duck deep ball to Ben Skoranek. Um <laughs> But he's a decent player. Macon Wilson's all right. Uh, Flynn Nagel's pretty decent possession receiver. But there certainly isn't an Austin Carr on this roster, and Northwestern's definitely hurting for that. And let's kind of flip it over uh, with Northwestern and its defense. You mentioned there's not an Austin Carr there. Well, on the defense, they lost Anthony Walker, who was one of the five best linebackers in the country last year. How's it been trying to replace him, and what like what does the defense do well, and what does it do poorly? So it's been surprisingly okay in regards to replacing what Anthony Walker brought to the team. Uh, a lot of that is helped out by the player behind him, Northwestern strong safety Kyle Cairo. I think is one of the most underrated players in the Big Ten. He's tremendous tackling, got some pretty good ball skills too. He's overshadowed by Godwin Ngabuke, their free safety, who makes all the big plays. Uh, but Kyle Cairo is an awfully good player, especially down in the box. And the linebacking core has been fine. I will say that they haven't really played a running back as fast as Saquon Barkley, and that's going to be a problem because outside of Nate Hall, it's not the most athletic group of guys. With Patty Fisher and Brett Walsh, I think Penn State's going to have some room moving side to side to take advantage of that. But, you know, the linebacking core has been fine and the safeties have made up for it. Uh, It's the secondary outside of those safety spots that is a serious, serious problem. And getting after the quarterback has been an issue. Northwestern hasn't really replaced the two defensive ends they had from their team last year. Joe Gaziano and Sam Miller are all right. But they're certainly not Odenabo in Washington. Northwestern really struggles to get pressure on the QB. Interesting. All right. Well, that's a, you know, there's there's been kind of a little thing in Happy Valley about uh, how just how good is Trace McSorley. So you're the the fact that you're making it sound like they're not great at rushing uh, rushing a quarterback or stopping a bunch of receivers is giving me a little bit of optimism. Yeah, you should be you should buy a lot of McSorley stock this week. Not only because of what he can do throwing the ball down the field, which is where Northwestern is weakest, and especially Trey Williams. Um, there is a horrific miscommunication between him and Iguabuque last week that turned a standard play into a sixty-five yard gain or something like that, which can't happen. Trey Williams is there to be exploited. And the other thing that you should look out for is McSorley's got a decent set of legs. For you know, a quarterback, you don't really expect to have that. Um, Northwestern, historically, and this year, you saw it against Duke, always struggles to contain the read option from the quarterback position. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if you see McSorley make some plays with his legs. Northwestern well, is available there. I do believe it's supposed to rain on Saturday. So, uh, well, there you go. The, the thought of uh, 
you know, Penn State chucking up a bunch of deep balls might not be in the cards. Uh, although if they want to try and let it fly when it's rainy out, I would not mind that because that'd be kind of a, <laughs> that'd be fun to watch. Uh, so let's just very simply, how does Penn State beat Northwestern? Win the battle in the trenches. Uh, I listened back to our podcast previewing the game, and I said the same thing. And I'll stick to it. If they can keep McSorley clean and give him enough time to throw, you know, if the weather is junk, it becomes a slop fest. But if they can keep McSorley clean, he's going to find some open guys down the field. You know what Saquon Barkley can do. He's going to get 150 yards or whatever it's going to be. Um, and if they can make Clayton Thorson uncomfortable in the pocket, uh, they're going to really, really have a fun time. As if Justin Jackson's not himself, if Northwestern's offensive line plays the way I expect it to, uh, Penn State's going to have a lot of havoc plays on that side of the ball. But it all comes down to the yard and a half at the line of scrimmage, I think. And then from the uh, other way of looking at it, how does Northwestern beat Penn State? Northwestern has to become something that it hasn't been for the first couple weeks of the season. They have to find some... Yeah, yeah, exactly. They have to find some kink to exploit because you know, beating Nevada and Bowling Green doesn't mean anything. I mean, Northwestern was pulling their guard and their tackle against Bowling Green. They can't do that against anyone in the Big Ten. That that game doesn't mean anything. They struggled to put away a Nevada team who's one of the worst in the country. Wait, 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 they have wait, to, wait, wait, wait. Their guard and their tackle? Maybe it wasn't. They've pulled okay. like half their offense. Okay, oh, okay. It's probably the center, Bill. I don't know anything uh, about Well, them. no, I was going to say, like, if they were just taking, like, two linemen from one side and saying, we're pulling both of you, like, that, like, I'm not even trying to insult. That would rule. I would very much want to see that happen. <laughs> like, I'm visualizing it, and it's hilarious. But that, yeah. I wish I could go back and see the tape because I distinctly remember seeing two really large men pulling across the formation and thinking, you know, if this play is going to work, Bowling Green's going to have a long day because this should not work <laughs> against any team. Um, but it could be wrong. Uh, but they have to find something else. I don't, I don't know what that is. They found a little bit of success with the speed option with Clayton Thorson, who's really athletic. You know, maybe they lean into the quarterback run a little bit. Maybe they find some new kink they can exploit on offense. Maybe they blitz a whole lot and try and force some big plays on defense. I don't really know what it is, but Northwestern has to find something else because the current formula really isn't working. So, like, if if this, so what you're basically saying is if this game plays out the way that everyone kind of expects, you, it's very hard for you to see Northwestern winning this game. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Northwestern hung around, you know, kept it close. One of those final scores that looks a little bit closer than it is in actuality. But, I mean, obviously if Penn State plays their game, Northwestern can't match them. They just can't do it. Uh, it, it would be a, a huge surprise to me if Penn State gave this game away, even with the weird James Franklin history. Interesting. So looking at uh, Las Vegas, they have Penn State about a 14, 14 and a half point favorite, something like that. Uh, looking at S&P Plus, 13-point favorites of the two of them. Seem to be kind of in cahoots on that. Give me a score. What do you think you, happens? Um, I think it, it's probably going to be similar to Wisconsin. Um, I'm not mm. sure Northwestern's going to have a halftime lead in this game. But, you know, Northwestern hangs around in the second half, gets a couple of touchdowns. Backdoor cover seems likely to me. Um, I think it could be, you know, a 10-point, 11-point victory. That's pretty comfortable. So one of those games where the final score isn't necessarily a reflection of what happens on the field. 
Absolutely. A 10-point game where you know Penn State's going to win the whole time sounds about right to me. Well, I, I mean, after uh, two weeks ago where Penn, Penn State's only other road game this year where they go into Iowa and they outgain Iowa by God knows how many yards, but they need a last-second touchdown to win, I don't think anyone would complain about <laughs> uh, something a little bit more comfortable. So, Ben, if someone wants to find your work somewhere online, wherever they need to go. Check out midmajormadness.com. Even though I've been talking about football for the last however many minutes it's been, uh, I usually write about basketball. If you want the uh, Northwestern side of things, check out insideandu.com. That's where I wrote for before. Also on the SB Nation hub of websites. Uh, but Mid Major Madness has a bunch of fun things coming out now. Our season preview content is going up. And we may or may not have NCAA Armageddon Fantasy set up at some point. Uh, we've like created a scoring system for if you want to have a fantasy draft of what teams are going to be destroyed in the ongoing FBI oh investigation. We have like a point <laughs> system set up for it. It's it's kind of cool. I'm like halfway through the article. Hopefully at some point I'll post it. What, so um, so stay would, tuned for that. I would assume that you get the fewest points uh, for you know a really obvious school going down. Yeah, so there's it's a multiplier system. So any school that's already been named is uh, you dock half your points for that. Um, okay. So uh, Louisville, Louisville's weird. Like I think you'd have to ban Louisville because their entire athletic department's already <laughs> gone. Um, but like Power Five, that's just your standard. Um, Mid-major schools get a double. I can read you off the whole scoring system. Like probation is a quarter of a point per year. Scholarship restrictions, half point a year. Internal investigation, half point. Decommitments, a half point each. Uh, you get 50 points for the death penalty and 20 points for a fired Ooh. university president. It's Ooh. pretty detailed. Um, so when eventually that goes up, I'd say it'd be worth a click. Oh, for sure. And real quick before you go, give us a one-minute uh, preview of Northwestern basketball. So I'm hearing that Chris Collins has really dedicated himself to the Wildcat internship program. And I think that's going to manifest in some cool ways. We're talking about some mopping competitions at halftime, which should be really exciting in all state arena where they're going to play. I'm really excited for that. Uh, that's totally where I go. But I think also they're branching out beyond just, you know, your standard mops. I think we're going to have brooms, maybe some Swiffers. Uh, if the athletics department unleashes the, the, uh, the purse strings a little bit. Um, so you're going to have all of that fun wildcat internship program stuff behind a team that comes in the top four in the big 10, because big 10 basketball is an abomination. Is Penn State making the tournament? I said that they'd be playing postseason basketball last year. I'm still heavily leveraged in Penn State basketball <laughs> real estate, uh, and it's ruining my 401k. So please help me disinvest. We will do well. We won't uh, help you disinvest, but we'll uh, hope very hard that your Penn State stock ends up being uh, ends up being <laughs> prosperous. Uh, ben <laughs> Gordon, yeah. Ben didn't mention it. Follow him on Twitter at BenG412. And Ben, uh, one last time, thanks for coming on. Anytime. And next time you hear my voice, I'm going to be talking with Nick Pollock, and we're going to be talking about the Big Ten this week. All right. Ben Gorin is gone. And finally, able to hop onto the podcast while he's been doing uh, real-life things, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's happening? Hi. Hi. How you feeling, buddy? Uh, good. Tired. Good. Yeah. We're, we're, we're usually not used to recording at 10 p.m. on a weeknight. We've, like, gotten out of that habit compared to, uh, 
like last year's podcast where it was like, yeah, let's see, it's midnight. We have nothing else going on. We might as well do a podcast. So we're both that very... That was the worst. Yeah. Yeah, Nick actually, like, poor Nick, now that he's, like, engaged and stuff and has responsibilities and things, we can't do that anymore. So whatever. Uh, yeah. Want, want, want to talk about the Penn State game? Sure. Sure. Penn State Northwestern. You just listen uh, to Ben Gore and kind of break things down from the Northwestern perspective. Now we're here. We're going to talk like Penn Staters. Uh, which, outside of the fact, we're not going to call for Tommy Stevens, so we're not going to talk totally like Penn Staters. Uh, but otherwise, Nick, I have two. I'm having a really hard time being too terribly concerned about this game. I look at what happened against Duke. I look at what happened against Northwestern. Yeah, they were both on the road, but those were both against really, really good football teams. I really struggle to see a path in which Northwestern wins this one. How are you feeling heading into Saturday? I'm kind of feeling the same way. I don't really see a whole lot to be scared of with Northwestern. I guess if you want to say um, you want to take their game against Wisconsin and say, hey, they played them pretty well. They they didn't really, though. It was more Wisconsin just really falling asleep at the wheel. If you look at the S&P numbers, um, Northwestern's win probability for that game was only seven, was only one um, percent, and the adjusted score margin was twenty one and twenty one point nine points. So basically, what that means is that based on what happened in the game, they should have lost that game by essentially twenty two points. So that marks two different games this year against Duke and against Wisconsin. So the two Power Five teams that Northwestern's played, they have performed at less than 20% of what they are, are typically expected to perform at. And that's, it's only two games, but that's somewhat of a trend, at least. The only teams they've played that have finished within the top 100 of S&P Plus, they have uh, lost to. Penn State obviously falls well within that range, sitting at number eight. And just when I look over their schedule, when I look over the... I mean, the counting stats, when I look over the advanced stats, I just can't really find anything to be too scared of other than, I mean, the main factors are that Clayton Thorson still has it within him to be good, and the fact that it's a nooner in Evanston, so an 11 a.m.er, really, that's, but I can't really find much more to be scared of. Yeah, and to be clear, you said that you mentioned playing the two top 100 S&P Plus teams. Northwestern hasn't just lost those games. They've played terribly in those. And, you know, Duke... Well, they, they, they did play okay against Wisconsin. Well, in spurts. Uh, in, in spurts. In spurts, yeah. I mean, when you look in the hole, not as much. But Duke, an all-right football team. They're 54th in S&P Plus. That game ends 41-17. Uh, I believe Duke's quarterback, in addition to throwing well, just ran all over them. And I, I think they're James Franklin and Joe Moorhead and co are going to watch some tape from that one and kind of put together a very uh, Trace beats him with their leg, beats them with his legs uh, game plan. And then Wisconsin fourth and S&P plus Penn State's right there in their heels. There, there, it just seems like so many things have to go wrong, as Ben mentioned in. The first half of this podcast, Justin Jackson is banged up. He hasn't been himself this year. He's been a little bit hurt. 
there's the fact that Clayton Thorson is just so up and down and has not been good against Wisconsin or Duke. Like it, It's very hard for me to see a path for Penn State to lose this game, as I mentioned. But if Penn State does lose, I think it's more because this turns into the game, Nick, that we've seen the last couple of times uh, that Penn State and Northwestern have played, where Penn State comes out, uh, especially the 2015 game, Penn State comes out very, very slow. Northwestern is able uh, to get a little bit hot. I believe, If I remember correctly with that game, Christian Hackenberg started like 1 for 10, uh, and then I think it was like 9 for 10, not 10 passes after that, but starts 1 for just something really gross and really ugly, and Northwestern is able to take advantage of all these little things. But if Penn State is able to get off to, I don't want to even want to say a good start, if Penn State's able to get off to an okay start, like, if this game goes into the second quarter seven to nothing, I'm going to feel kind of confident because I feel like that'll be an improvement off of what we've seen uh, in Pat in the last time Penn State went out there. Yeah, I I don't really see how Penn State could start slow against Northwestern, barring turnovers. Their defense just hasn't really been able to stop much of anything. They. I've done a decent job of limiting big rushing plays, but they can't stop a typical rushing play. They can't control that efficiency. And the best running back they've faced has been um, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. And Jonathan Taylor is very good. Yes, don't get me wrong. And Northwestern's offensive line, like Ben mentioned in the first half, like Northwestern's defensive line is prone to getting pushed around a little bit, and North and Wisconsin is like built to yeah. do that. So, yeah. And Penn State's offensive line is nowhere near the caliber of Wisconsin's, but Penn State's offensive line is big, at least. So that combined with, you know, Saquon Barkley, that is a pretty good combination for taking advantage of a rushing defense that really has struggled a bit. But I think at least one key to what's helped keep Northwestern in these recent games against Penn State is that while they may not be flashy, they at least can score. This version of Northwestern can't really score. That's a big problem. Yeah, yeah which that's like, like that's the big thing. If I, I know the weather is going to be kind of gross. I know it's going to be a game decided on the ground. But when I look at this game, I'm sorry, Bill. Are you telling me that a Penn State Northwestern game might not be entertaining? <laughs> How I, can that I, be? I, I won't go that far, but what what I will say is that I think this is this could be a game where Penn State could be a little bit more methodical because of a stat that you mentioned that I find uh, that that, that kind of gives me some amount of excitement, which is the rushing success rate that we've seen out of Northwestern. So far this season, it hasn't uh, on the defensive end. Penn State's rushing success rate on offense is 10th in the nation. Uh, and to be clear, success rate is uh, as defined by football outsiders. 50% of the ne- uh, necessary yardage on first down, 70% on second down, 100% on third and fourth down. This is something that uh, when we talked with Bill Connolly in our last edition of the podcast, he said Penn State's been doing very well. They're good at getting... You know, first and ten, they're good at getting five yards. Second and five, they're good at getting four yards. 
Uh, third and one, they're good at getting that one final yard. Northwestern, at least on the ground, is not very good at stopping that. They're 91st nationally, average, uh, allowing about 44.4%. So a little under half of all of the, uh, all the times you're going to run against them, you're going to be able to get something, and that's something that I think Penn State and Nick can really take advantage of. Yeah, and I think that's something that they'll want to take advantage of in two different ways. One, uh, Barkley only rushed for 52 yards last week, and he did the same thing against Indiana last year. So it's probably says more about Indiana than Saquon Barkley, the offensive line. But you definitely want to get him rolling on the ground again. And then this is also a really good opportunity for McSorley to really get a good number of quality reps in the um, RPO offense to really try to get his feet back under him in that regard, take some time, make some really focus on making good decisions, reading the right guys. Because as we talked about um, in the recap podcast from the Indiana game, that was an area where he did really struggle. And that's kind of the one thing that is glaring to Penn State fans right now and are making more people than should be worrying about it worry about his um, current spot as Penn State starting quarterback because of those decisions of the read option. So this is a great chance for them to keep the ball on the ground and just let those guys cook. Yeah, I would love for this to be one of those games where McSorley throws it like 15 times and Barkley and McSorley and Robinson and Sanders all, and Mark Allen will throw him in there. I'll get a chance to uh, show out. Throwing the ball, I'm not too worried. I mean, like we said, going to be a gross game. I don't really want him to throw that much. But Nick, I have a question for you, a little trivia question. And I think you're love going trivia. To, I think you're going to know the answer to this. Okay. All right. Who was the last Penn State player to throw a touchdown against Northwestern? Hmm. A hint. Uh, well, I know. I know. McGlo- I know. McGloin did. But a, hint, I, a little hint. The 2015 okay. game, Christian Hackenberg did not throw a touchdown against them. Okay. So 2015, he did not. In 2004. 14 was that home I believe 2014 was the homecoming that was. That was. when Northwestern laid the smackdown on Penn State. Oh wait. Oh. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't Yeah, so I'm going to say McGloin. You you are Well, you're wrong because the answer is Geno Lewis. He threw he threw for Penn State's oh. only touchdown in the 23-21 game in 2015. I that I was, was I figured that of the entire season too. You know how on Jeopardy sometimes people uh, like on Final Jeopardy, either you know it in half a second, or you're just standing there, or you're sitting on your couch watching it. Well, hell, there's no way on earth I'm going to get this. I figured this was one of those questions, so uh, I'm glad we were able to have a little moment of fun. Damn. Anyway, I, I, I even I can see the. Every ounce of McGloin's arm, arm strength going into that one deep ball, I can I can see it vividly in my mind. Damn. Yeah, I, I. God, I really there's nothing I really want to remember about that last game, but, uh, but Gino Lewis just slang and he threw a beautiful pass station on Hamilton if I remember correctly, but. Not yeah, it was there. it was like put right on Deshaun's hands as he's going to the ground in the corner of the end zone. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully no Penn State receivers have to throw touchdowns uh, this week. But, Nick, the line, Penn State by 14. 
Uh, S&P Plus has it at Penn State 13.2. Has the projected margin of victory over under is 54. What do you think ends up happening? I I feel like 14 is probably too low. I think Penn State is 14 point, definitely more than 14 points better than Northwestern. But because it is in Evanston, because it's a slightly earlier start time, because this game, <clears throat> because um, I think Penn State will keep the ball on the ground and they'll use this as an opportunity to get a few things back on track, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Tommy Stevens package come out once um, during this game. So I... I think just considering all the external factors and not just the teams themselves, I think around 14 is right. I I still think Penn State probably covers that. I could see something like 37 to 20. Um, but I, I over that's a pretty fair fair line overall. I think I agree with that. I. I think it's probably going to end up I, – I trust Penn State's defense to really come out and really play a good game. I, I think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that Pet, against Pitt, Penn State's defense was locked down all night. Against Indiana, more or less the same thing. Against Iowa, it took really two big plays, but otherwise Iowa wasn't – to score, otherwise Iowa wasn't able to get the stuff – I don't think Northwestern's offense, especially with Jackson injured uh, and more of the pressure being put on Thorson and his ability to throw the ball in a bad weather environment is all that great. I'm going to go on a little bit of a lower side. I think this game ends something like, let's say, 24-10. to 10. I'm going to predict something a little bit lower. I'm not 100% sure uh, how I feel about that, but I don't think this is going to end up being... Penn State trouncing, uh, or or if Penn State trounce, it won't be that like on the score sheet. Maybe in the box score, Penn State outgains them like I don't know, five hundred yards or two hundred yards. Just throwing numbers out here, something like that. But I don't think this is going to be one of those games where Penn State, you know, we're going into the third quarter and there's no reason for any starter to even have their pads on. Like I don't, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, yeah, I think I think I like your score prediction better than mine actually because I didn't I I kind of wasn't thinking when I said Northwestern twenty. I don't think Northwestern can get to twenty on this Penn State defense the way they're playing right now, especially with their offensive line struggling. Um, yeah. yeah, plus, plus this, like, sh- I this should have, be this should be fun to watch on the defensive side. Oh, I agree. Like, I've I don't think Northwestern's defense is like incredibly talented. Or anything like that. I think they have some good players on there, but I don't think they're the kind of unit that is going to give uh, McSorley and Barkley and Kasicki and Johnson and Hamilton and all those dudes nightmares. But I do think that it's going to be a very, very well coached unit. It's going to have a really good game plan and play. It's going to be Northwestern. It's going to be exactly what we expect. You know, just Northwestern, all that stuff. They're going to play their game, and it's not going. Penn State's not going to get a single thing easily. And I think that's something we all have to be aware of and we all have to be cognizant of really into this game because I don't think that Penn State fans who want and are kind of expecting a blowout when they see a line of 14 and they see 
S&P Plus saying this, and they see that Northwestern has not played good against Duke or Wisconsin. I think if you're a kind of fan who expects a blowout because of those things, or at least the score to look like a blowout, I think you might be a little bit disappointed this week. But otherwise, I, I think Penn State's going to have going to enter the bye with a 6-0. They're going to be a bowl team. They're going to have two weeks to prepare for Michigan and then Ohio State and then a Michigan State team that can that's going to make uh, that game a little bit rough. But I, I feel pretty good. I feel like Penn State's in about it's right about where we all expect them. I'm pretty stoked about that. At this yeah. point, I think it's time that we go around the Big Ten, Nick. And I don't know what better game to start with than Illinois against Iowa. Yeah, so I, I've done even less research than I normally do for the podcast. I have no idea what the games are. I actually, I, I wrote them down when I did the Big Ten Power Rankings this week, but I, it was in one ear out the other. So I have no idea what the matchups are. So okay. I'm kind of learn it, learn it as we go here. Okay. So, um, I, I'm sorry. So I, I was thinking about what I was gonna say while you said it. Illinois against two, Iowa. Ooh. Guess what the line is for this one. Um, is it, where is it? Kinnick. Ooh. Well, I would probably got docked for last week. I'm going to guess Illinois plus 12 and a half. Iowa is a 20 point favorite. Hmm. Yeah. Game kicks off at noon on BTN. In Kinnick, this game is really going to suck. Like I was, yeah. I think I was going to win it kind of comfortably, but I don't know why you would want to spend a single second of your life watching this football game. Yeah, Iowa doesn't really beat Big Ten teams by that many points. I'm yeah. curious. I'm going to go back to last season and see if they beat anybody by anybody in the Big Ten. By that sort of margin, last year they Rutgers fourteen to seven, Northwestern they lost by seven, Minnesota they beat by seven, Purdue they beat by fourteen, Wisconsin they lost by eight, Penn State they got smacked, Michigan they won by one. Okay, last year they beat Illinois twenty eight nothing, and Nebraska <laughs> and Nebraska forty to ten. So the two. I'm really enjoying Nebraska's new status as Big Ten bottom dweller, by the way. It's really funny to me. Oh, it's fantastic. Wait, I don't know what it – like, I don't hate Nebraska or anything. No, no, not at all. We'll we'll talk about them a little bit later in this episode. Like, I don't hate them. Like, I generally – like, you and I were not cognizant human beings when uh, Nebraska got the national title over Penn State, so we don't have, like, an inherent hatred of them or anything, but, like – no, there's just pesky. something funny about this, and I don't know exactly what it is. There's a I mean, prob- season for probably them. part of it is, even though we're not overtly thinking about it, part of it is probably the whole Bo Pelini thing, in that they got tired of nine win seasons, and now they're right. This. Now they're at like five win seasons if they're lucky. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, next up, Minnesota at Purdue, three thirty kick, ESPN two. I expect this game, the the story in this game is going to be the two head coaches. It's going to be Jeff Brom going up against P.J. Fleck. I don't have anything even kind of resembling a read on this game. I'm looking right now, S&P Plus has Minnesota winning this game by about three points. 
Uh, Vegas has Purdue as a four-point favorite. So this is... Oh, wait. No, no, no. Yeah, Wait, yeah. Yeah, Minnesota by f- about three points in S&P Plus and Purdue's a four-point favorite. It's in West Lafayette. This game has the potential to get kind of funky, I think. Yeah, I have literally no idea what I think is going to happen in this one. If I remember correctly, it was either last year or the year before where Purdue almost beat Minnesota in their former Purdue state. Um, Minnesota just lost to Maryland. And Maryland is not bad, but Maryland is on its third-string quarterback. They mostly lost to the run game, but if you're going to get in a battle of run games like it was, then, I mean, you got to be able to win it. So in the way that they lost, I... I mean, I wouldn't feel I don't feel good about Minnesota right now. I don't really see what positive things they have going for them. And I know Purdue lost to Michigan last time we saw them, but they've had a week off. They've had time to relax. They've had time to study. I'm sure Jeff Brom cooked up like 75 new trick plays. I'm going Purdue here. I'll I'll agree with that. I don't I, I don't know why you would feel any kind of like super optimism about Minnesota. Just looking through their uh, S and P plus numbers, like they're really good at not allowing explosive. Like their passing offense and defense are both very respectable. Uh, they're both good at one ma- t- making explosive plays and preventing explosive plays, but at the same time, their quarterback is thrown for three touchdowns. So. I don't. And they've also played Buffalo, Oregon State, Middle Tennessee, and Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually think this is a really good game for Minnesota. I think we're going to learn a lot about them uh, really the next two weeks when they travel to Purdue and then they host Michigan State. But, yeah, I'm not exactly uh, – I, I, I don't expect too terribly much out of Minnesota, and I think that's fine. I think, you know, first year P.J. Fleck, it's all about building that foundation, uh, you know, getting trademarks and recruiting a lot, so whatever. Moving on to the other 330 game, Arizona BTN. Charleston Southern to Indiana. Nick, you know what time it is. It's time for the ticket price game. Yes. What is the cheapest gonna, ticket? I was going to ask. What is the cheapest ticket you can get to this game? It is $4. The answer is $3. Oh, no. You you were so close. You had I, it right I, there. Round the I, initially, I initially was going to say 3 Do you know and, my, <sighs> my favorite thing about this is that Indiana's advanced statistical profile uh, it's listed opponent for this week as hashtag NA. <laughs> and despite that, their win probability is only 95%. It is not oh, 99% no. or 100% or whatever it is. The Indiana, uh, they're going to have Peyton Ramsey under center. I know he was, he, he made, might have made a couple of fans, at least in the Penn State fan base. Eh, fans is the wrong word, but there were a lot of Penn State fans who saw that. He brought a different dimension to their offense. I mean, Richard Legal, we know what he could do. Uh, we also know his flaws, and Peyton Ramsey's not the best thrower, but he's pretty dynamic with his legs. He was able to move the ball a little bit on Penn State's defense. And if he can start completing some passes, maybe this is going to be the kind of thing that, you know, can give a little bit of a shot in the arm to Indiana as it gets into the real meat of its schedule after this week, Michigan at Michigan State at Maryland, and then hosting Wisconsin. Side note, Indiana's got some interesting names in their rushing stats here. 
Um, they have an A-Rod. They have an Alex Rodriguez. They have a dude, a wide receiver, a freshman wide receiver named Wop Fillior. Whoa. Or Wope. I don't know. I don't even know how to say it. W-H-O-P. And then they have Ricky Brookins, which he just sounds like, he sounds like he should be great. But It's weird because... I don't know why he's a junior. He's a junior as three carry, so he's probably not great. I don't know why, but when I hear the name Ricky Brookins, I expect a running back to be like six one and two hundred and thirty pounds. And if you ask them to go off tackle, it's a loss of three. But yeah, they've they've had Alex Rodriguez there for a while. He's just yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah, I I know I've heard it before. And the yeah, day- oh yeah, he, he's a baseball player right now. Yeah, I know I've heard his name on Indiana before. When I hear Ricky Brookins, I hear a opposing outside linebacker in an episode of Friday Night Lights. Yeah, man, that's something like that. Uh, yeah, so Charleston Southern, all the best uh, to you. Oh, no, all the worst, because you're going against our beloved Hoosiers. Hey, let's look at... Uh, oh, there's no, uh, there's no line for this one on the site that I'm looking at. That's unfortunate. <sighs> Moving yeah. on! Maryland at Ohio State, 4 o'clock kick on Fox in Columbus, Ohio. I don't think this game – like, I don't think Maryland has much of a chance. Uh, and that was even before it was on its third-string quarterback. Even if they had one of their first two dudes in there, I don't think they would have had much of a chance. Now Max Bortenschwager's in there, and I – yeah, I just can't imagine that he's able to do too terribly much. I do think – uh, the one thing that Maryland is really, really good at, is, and Ohio State's good at preventing this, but I do think Maryland, they could run the ball a little bit. I'm a little bit concerned about uh, Lorenzo Harrison, who, and Ty Johnson, he's not exactly a huge dude either. I don't think they're going to be able to break out on these really long, really uh, big play runs that kind of blow the doors open off of Ohio State. I think this is a game where if Maryland wants to stay in it, because the defense is going to be coached pretty well. It's going to give Ohio State, I think, a little bit of trouble running the football, not too terribly much. But it's going to need to have these long, sustained drives where Johnson and Harrison are both in, both getting like five, six carries a drive, milking that clock down and getting it down to the fourth quarter as a close one. I can't see that happening. I just think Ohio State's way too good and they're playing – some really, really good football right now. But th- there's at least a path for Maryland making this one a little bit interesting. Um, yeah, what you said is definitely true. If they can be in a position where they can, where running the ball is a good strategy in the second half, then they're probably going to be in pretty good shape because even though. Johnson and Harrison aren't going to break off 60-yard runs against this defense, most likely. They're still plenty good enough to consistently pick up first downs. But the problem, I think, is going to be, I think Maryland will be able to stay in this game for like a quarter, quarter and a half. But at some point, in order to win this game, they are going to have to throw the ball. And Bortenschlager had a couple nice tosses this past weekend, but going up against Ohio State secondary, while not as good as they've been in the past, is quite different than what they had been up against. Um, On the other side, I'm interested to see what Ohio State looks like because we 
have seen them the past three weeks against Army, UNLV, and Rutgers. Teams all ranked 88th or higher in S&P. So it's not like they've been playing world beaters. They love, they've looked great. They've scored 38, 54, and 56. But Maryland is definitely a step up in competition, even if they are extremely one-dimensional. So I am curious to see what their offense looks like against the Terps' defense. Yeah. Um, but I think in the end, the Maryland would need to have some sort of passing game in order to win this. Yeah, it, it is a little weird that uh, I am interested uh, now that Maryland is Ohio State's first conference game since that trip to Indiana at the beginning of the season. I am interested to see how that, uh, like whether Maryland or Ohio State, either of them, you know, get a little more fired up because, you know, since the Indiana game, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Army, UNLV, Rutgers just have not played a Big Ten opponent. So it's, I think that could be weird. I do want to get your thoughts on just like, do you think that, let's say this game is, Ohio State's up twenty-eight to fourteen in the with six minutes left in the third quarter. Do you think Maryland would say, "Okay, listen, Max, you're going to have to win this game with your arm," or are they going to try and do what generally works for them, which is give the ball to Ty Johnson and have him do something? I think they still run the ball just because that's what they can do. Bordenschlager, I mean, he's he's a college-level quarterback. Clearly, he can throw the football. Nobody makes it to this point without being able to do something at that position. But i that's a really tall task to ask of your third stringer in that scenario. I think it's more likely that they just try to mix in a few more play-action plays, um, maybe just some more moving the pocket and letting him complete rhythm throws to Harrison or Johnson or just quick little out routes. I could see maybe them trying to put a little bit more on him in the passing game in that way. But I I mean, their bread and butter is the run game. They win with the run game. They lose with the run game. I think that's what they have to stick with, even in that yeah. scenario. Nick, what's the line on this game? Do you know? Mm. I don't know if this is a hint or not. S&P Plus has it as a 26-point margin for Ohio State. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm looking at that. I It probably isn't that high. I'm going to guess it's Maryland plus 22 and a half. Ohio State is a 31 point favorite. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That'll I'm, I might have to take that bet. I if, don't like that. Yeah, That's too if, much. If Nick, if Nick wagered, he would. Moving on, uh, Michigan, Michigan State in Ann Arbor. 7.30 kick on ABC. I I think Michigan probably wins this. I'm, I'd am i really, really like it if Michigan State could end up winning this for reasons that should be very obvious to anyone who listens to this podcast. This is going to be a really gross defensive battle. Brian Lewerke is going to make some very... He, he's not going to you know blow the top off of Michigan because it's very hard to do that. That's also just not his game. But he's going to make some very smart throws. That's going to be it. They're going to have to run the ball better. LJ Scott's averaging 3.7 yards per carry. I think Michigan probably wins this. I think the first, I wouldn't be surprised if the first team to score 14 points wins. Yeah, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what Michigan State is at this point. 
they're probably more in line with what they really should have been last year, which is a team that can uh, beat bad teams, won't beat great teams, and can put up a fight against teams around their level. Which I mean, for a, I mean, basically the typical Big Ten team. No surprises. The defense has been playing pretty fantastic for most of the year. They did not play well against Notre Dame. But the Michigan State defense has been pretty good. And on Michigan's side, of course, John O'Corn is starting with Wilton Spates out for, what is it, two to six weeks? Or am I thinking of somebody else? At least a couple weeks. He's out for some weird period of time, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised we even got that much information, honestly. Um, but Wilton Spade's going to be out. John O'Corn's going to come in. John O'Corn played well against Purdue, but he was really bad when he played last year before Spate took over the full-time job. So I don't think you can really say, based on one produ- one performance against a Purdue defense, that is still pretty bad. The offense is a lot better. The defense is still not great. I think it's a stretch to say just based on that that, yeah, O'Korn's, O'Korn's maybe even better than Spade. He's going to lead this team to the East. I think that's a little premature. He maybe could get to that point, but it's not a very good matchup for him to go up against a Michigan State defense that has been pretty solid. Ranks as the number 16 defense by S&P+. Plus. Luckily for them, it is in Ann Arbor. So they at least get to play in their home stadium. But I think this game could be interesting. I think this game ends something like Michigan 24, Michigan State 21. Yeah, the line on this one's anywhere from Michigan to 10 to Michigan to 13 and a half. I think all of those are a little too high, man. Like, I don't think. Yeah, that's too much. Last game on the schedule, uh, Wisconsin. Going to Lincoln, 8 o'clock kick against Nebraska, Big Ten Network. I'm, I am I want to stress that I do not think Nebraska is going to win this game. But at the same time, we haven't seen a great Big Ten team upset by an objectively far worse Big Ten team yet this season. And... Whether it happens to Penn State, whether it happens to Michigan, whether it happens to Wisconsin, Ohio State, I don't know. This seems like this could be one of those games where it's a really, really, really good team going in and playing a team that's not on their level, but weird road Big Ten night games happen. I think Wisconsin wins this game. Uh, They're a 13-point favorite. I would almost feel inclined to bet that they cover that just because I haven't been, again, I haven't been impressed at all with Nebraska this year. And I think Wisconsin is very good, but at the same time, this seems like the kind of game where it has the potential for a couple of weird things to start happening. I have been the conductor of the Northwestern is kind of trash train since the preseason. And I am on it with Uh, you just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel like I can hop off that train at this stop. I think Wisconsin probably – I think Wisconsin wins this game by 17 or 20 points. I think their defense will, is just going to completely suffocate Tanner Lee. Um, I, just, I just don't see what Nebraska will really be able to do. I think Wisconsin can control it on the ground with Taylor. Um, 
Alex Hornibrook maybe gets a chance to uncork a few more passes. But I think this game is just controlled by the defense, and I could even see Wisconsin going for another defensive score like they had last week. I I would not be surprised by that. Tanner Lee this year completing 54.7% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. This has to be one of those games. If Wisconsin is going to lose, it's because Lee plays like the guy that everyone thought. Not everyone. Everyone who went within 50 miles of Lincoln, Nebraska, thought he was going to be this year. And then they just get performances performances out of dudes like, you know, Stanley Morgan and D. Mornay personnel just able to make big play after big play while containing the rushing attack of Wisconsin and, you know, forcing Alex Hornibrook into a mistake or two. But yeah, I just, I can't, I can, again, I could see the path to this one becoming weird, but I can't bring myself to to, to think that anything is able to come of this. Like I, a, a good Big Ten team has to lose eventually, I would imagine, and this kind of fits that bill. But I, I no, it's just not going to happen. Wisconsin this week for Nebraska, next week Ohio State. They travel to Penn State at the end of the year. Like this is just. This team's going to look real bad at the end of the season, man. They're going to be three and four uh, come their bye. Oh, no. Mike Riley's getting fired after the Ohio State game, isn't he? Oh, he man. That's their bye week, the week after Ohio State. And they're going to be three and four. They're going to have Purdue, Northwestern, Minnesota after that. Three three somewhat winnable games. Yeah. I'm calling well, it right if now. They, if after they Ohio fire State. Him- if they fire him there at the bye week, maybe LSU will lose a couple more games by then and fire Ed Orgeron, and he can be the interim coach at Nebraska. And Nebraska will be great because Ed O is a fantastic coach, interim yeah. coach, just not a good, not a good head coach. Uh, I want to double check this before I ask you. Okay, what is Ed Orgeron's buyout? Um, so this isn't totally fair because this is what they were talking about, the shutdown fall cast this uh, week. And I was just listening. I, oh, it was, was it nine point something? 12 million. 12 million. I like the scenario they la- laid out. Um, oh, it's, it's less than I think is still getting nine. But I like the <laughs> scenario they laid out where it was, Somehow they fire they fire Edo after this year, pay the twelve whatever buyout, um, are still play, are still paying less, and then pay Jimbo's buyout and then pay Jimbo. So they concocted it in a way that it would be something like sixty million on the books to get Jimbo as their head coach. Jesus. Yeah. Which would be incredible. Yeah, that's absolutely gonna happen. I'm, a thing that I've learned, and without getting too terribly political here, folks, no one is worse than money with rich people. And if you need any more proof of that, just follow college football. I think that's it for this edition of the pod, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. As always, thank you for listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Overcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on those various uh, platforms. If you go onto iTunes, leave us a review. Let us know what we're doing. Uh, if it's not a five-star review that tells us we're great, we're not going to read it, and actually we will think less of you, and you will, we will consider you a lesser person.
person, just in all honesty. So leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter at RO, our blog, Roar Lions Roar on Instagram and on Facebook. Storelinestore.com. No, store.roarlionsroar.com. Buy yourself a t-shirt. They're still very nice. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. All that stuff. We have a really good podcast up that kind of builds on uh, some of the stuff that we've been talking about this week on the site about you know Penn State's offense and where it's at and is it as good as we were all expecting. We had Bill Connolly from SB Nation come on over. That's a worthwhile listen. We'd love it if y'all listened to that. Yeah. One last time for our earlier guest, Ben Gorin. For Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go Diamondbacks.